0: or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome to Sparking Wholeness. And I'm sitting down with Dr. Josh Friedman. Did I say your name right?
1: That's exactly right, yes.
0: All right, I didn't even clarify before that, but you guys, this conversation is so good. We've already been chatting before getting started, and I just, we align on so much. And so let me just introduce him to you and tell you a little bit about his background. Dr. Josh Friedman earned his doctorate in psychology from New York University and did postdoctoral training in psychoanalysis from the Training and Research Institute for Self-Psychology, T-R-I-S-P, in New York City. After working in the field for a few years, he realized that something was missing from traditional mental health treatment. Curiosity in a chance meeting led him to discover the world of nutritional psychology, which teaches that many psychological issues are caused or made worse by underlying biochemical nutritional deficiencies. Along the way, he became certified as a yoga teacher, incorporating the emphasis on breathing techniques, meditation and movement into his work as essential tools for working with mental health at the deepest levels. To enhance his effectiveness in helping people heal and grow, he became certified as a holistic health counselor at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York and went on to earn a diploma of comprehensive nutrition From Huntington College of Health Sciences. He has been led to go deeper into the biochemistry of mental health by becoming a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and studying with mental health nutrition greats such as Julia Ross, Dr. Charles Grant, and Dr. William Walsh. Dr. Josh started alternative mental health solution to help people find and fix the root cause of their mental health struggles. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you now see why I asked him to come on the show after <laughs> reading all that. So thank you so much, that's, Dr. Josh, for being mouth, on the
1: show. That's a mouthful.
0: It is, but it's great information. And I mean, <laughs> even reading it, I get so excited because you see so many different sides of the mental yeah. health world and you have dipped your toes into all of these different aspects of mental Mm -hmm. wellness. So, I mean, maybe that's a great place to get started would be, how did you even get into the integrative side of things and nutritional side of things? And Mm -hmm. yeah, just give us a background.
1: So I did seven years of graduate training in New York at NYU in child psychology. And no one ever once mentioned none of my professors who are like wonderful, amazing teachers. None of them ever once met, mentioned the connection between food and mood. None of them mentioned vitamins. None of them mentioned minerals. All that was mentioned was um, psychotherapy techniques and psychotropic medications. So I didn't think much of that and until I sort of started like to get out into the field. And a couple of big things happened to me when I got out. So this is about 2000 and i'm in new york and i have a daughter who's born with a very very serious gi problem she lost most of her small intestines
0: wow.
1: so i get thrown into a huge crisis and um through that process end up meeting a whole bunch of alternative medicine practitioners so she went for all kinds of treatments went for acupuncture she saw what was at that point known as a biochemical nutritionist Um, she saw hypnotherapists, she saw trauma folks, and I started to sort of learn about a whole world I hadn't, like I knew nothing about. At about that same time, I started to work in an eating disorder clinic, and the disparity, like kind of the most famous eating disorder clinic in New York at the time, and so we did day treatment programs, and we did IOP, where we were with folks for hours at a time, and... I started to notice we were feeding people two or three meals a day, helping them learn to feed themselves and learn to nourish themselves. And the food that we were feeding them was of such incredibly low quality. And so like that sort of, I was wondering about that. And then uh, my wife at the time um, was seeing, was getting an evaluation from the same person that saw my daughter and she did all this testing. Um, she did an organic acid test. She did heavy metal testing. She did hair, hair mineral analysis. And um, she was gonna, She was a writer, and she was going to write a book about this man. And he said something to me that changed my life. It was like one conversation can change your life. He said, do you know why your eating disorder patients don't get better? And I said, no, I don't. I said, because probably trauma. And he said, well, maybe, but on a biochemical level, many of these folks aren't able to digest proteins and they don't eat enough protein. And so for me, I was like, okay, what does that mean? He said, protein is the only thing that can make the mood chemical serotonin. And no one had ever said something that want like incredibly basic thing. Oh, the food we eat protein, is digested, but can only be digested if you have hydrochloric acid. And it can only be digested, and hydrochloric acid could be only made if you have enough zinc. And if you can't break down protein into amino acids, then you can't make neurotransmitters. So he said, read this book. It'll change your life. And the book was called The Mood Cure by Julia Ross. And so The Mood Cure, for anyone that doesn't know, is the most interesting primer on nutrition and mental health available It was written in i think it was written about 25 years ago and it's about the power of amino acids and the power of the right diet to build right brain chemistry and so i read this book and within what what like right after i read the first chapter i called julia ross who's the author and i said hey i I need to learn this stuff and so this is two thousand. About um, this is about like two thousand two or two thousand three, and so that's the beginning. And at the same time, I'm learning these deep psychological theories, psychoanalysis, how to sit with people, how to help people heal through repatterning and relatedness, how to feel safe enough to tell their stories, and I'm also learning about the basic biochemistry of mental health that seemingly like very few therapists know, very few psychiatrists actually know how neurotransmitters are, are, are um, built. Yeah. Um, what like which specific nutrients can be helpful for mental health. And I learned like a very simple model to add on to my psychotherapy practice. And so that's sort of how it started for me.
0: Does that make sense? Yes, and I have so many things to add on to that. Okay, Okay. to to backtrack and ask more about. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I I find it interesting, and about that time, if I'm I'm thinking back to my own mental health around 2002, 2003. That was when I was at my worst. And I remember my psychiatrist Mm -hmm. at the time saying something about omega-3s. And and maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, he said, there are some studies showing that these could help. And I'm like, eh, yeah, whatever, give me my meds. I wasn't really paying attention at the time. But it's so encouraging to know that 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 knowledge was around then it was happening then and I think you know when we look it's, back to what between there and now and how far we've come it's one
1: thing that's really interesting to me is if you go into the literature if you go into the academic psychiatric literature mm-hmm. all of this stuff has been here in the literature mm-hmm. so there are, there are academic researchers that have been looking at omega-3 has been looking at magnesium have been looking at amino acids Anything that's popular now has been in the literature since the 50s, the 60s, the wow. 70s. And so, one of the things that's most um, that's saddest is the academic literature um, doesn't make it very well into clinical practice. Hmm. So, and even now, and I always say this, and I, I feel bad saying this. Even now, it seems like everyone is interested in alternative approaches to mental health and other health fields. But really, if you're in the field, business as usual, like the average therapist, the average psychiatrist, aren't talking about omega-3s with their patients. Mm. It's still very much therapy and medication focused. Yeah. So, which to me is really, um, it's a real shame um because there are so many natural tools that are never considered so like when i when i find when someone comes to me and they've been labeled as treatment resistant Mm -hmm. what that technically means is you haven't responded to a certain number of medications right but no one has bothered to do even basic medical testing no one's like they haven't looked at even the basic stuff that's that that's very much in the literature they haven't looked at vitamin d levels they haven't looked at vitamin b12 levels they haven't looked at their mitochondria they haven't Mm -hmm. looked at and then there's like stuff that's farther out but most they haven't looked at thyroid disorder um which of course is incredibly common these days
0: absolutely
1: so these are really you know interesting times for sure
0: yeah and and i want to get back to um now, now you said even more things that I'm going to ask about. <laughs> so I made a note to myself, but yeah. um, I want to get back to what you said about proteins and amino acids building the neurotransmitters. And we can only, was, what was it you said? We can only make serotonin if we are receiving protein and if we're able to digest that protein. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah. So there's only one thing in the world that, that, that serotonin, so serotonin is probably the most important chemical of mood, right? Right. Um, it's the chemical that all, m- many of the antidepressants affect, the Prozac and Zoloft effects. Um, and, and serotonin can't be made from any of the available medications. So Prozac, Zoloft, Celexa, they make better use of whatever, whatever serotonin is in the brain they're called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Mm -hmm. So they keep them in place for longer, which seems in some people to have a mood benefit. But really the only thing in the world that serotonin can be made from is a single amino acid called tryptophan. Mm -hmm. So tryptophan, so when you say tryptophan, most people say, isn't that that thing that's in Turkey? (laughs) Like, Right, I mean, that's universally what people say, Mm -hmm. but it's one of the breakdown products of protein, any protein is broken down into 22 amino acid, amino acids. About six of those are important for mood. The most important one is probably tryptophan. So if you don't, if someone is protein malnourished, either because they aren't eating enough protein or because they can't break down protein because their stomach is not acidic enough, you don't have enough serotonin, you don't have enough uh, tryptophan, to turn into 5-HTP, to turn into serotonin. So, and that's like a very, like, people knowing that one thing, like if that's a huge takeaway, wow, digestion is important. So why is digestion important? So here's one reason. There's there's hundreds of reasons, right? But one very important reason, if my digestion is weak, if I'm taking medication to to cool my stomach acid protein pump inhibitors antacids my stomach is not going to be acidic enough to break down proteins if i don't have proteins broken down then i can't make any of the chemistry of mood that i need that's like a very that's like there's so many levels so many things connected to that but that fact is so huge
0: Right, and I know PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, are also connected to low B twelve deficiency or exactly. to B twelve mm-hmm. deficiencies, yeah. and so that would be part of that, right? Is it, it's so B twelve,
1: so B twelve, so why is B twelve important to this? So B twelve is important in lots of ways. So I tend to look at everything through a mental health lens because it's enough. But B twelve, if you look at the methylation cycle, and the methylation cycle is this important ubiquitous um, biochemical process by which um, neurotransmitters are made by which we detoxify um, we detoxify things that we don't need Um, but yeah low b12 would lead to slowing of the methylation cycle which is another mechanism by which low serotonin so that's right so when we're talking about this we're talking about Multiple inputs into what leads, what are the factors that lead people to be biologically um, prone to depression, to anxiety, to bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. And then from my vantage point, what are the lowest hanging fruit? So for me, the first thing I teach almost everyone is here's why eating protein is important. So beyond wound healing and, and the other, the other reason is all enzymes are made from amino acids. So enzymes are the things that allow biochemistry to happen. Without enzymes, you can't turn tryptophan into 5-HTP. You can't turn 5-HTP into serotonin. You can't turn serotonin into melatonin. So that's a very, so I, I try to find really simple ways. Because one of the things I've seen, so I've been in, I've watched um, functional medicine grow up, really. I mean, so like before, when I started this, functional medicine was like a baby. I hadn't even heard of it. And now, of course, it's, it's this amazing system that is like interconnected, beautiful view of the, the world and the body. But one of the things is sometimes when people go to see a functional medicine doctor, it's incredibly complicated.
0: They're doing thousands
1: of dollars worth of testing and they come up with like 30 things that are wrong. And it's quite overwhelming for people, especially if they're depressed or anxious. For sure. Like change your diet. Like, you know, like radically change your diet. Yeah. You know, take two or $300 worth of supplements a month, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like treat parasites and treat heavy metals <laughs> and treat your Epstein, bar, you know, virus. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, yeah. Oh, I wonder what it would be like if we focus and it probably, cause I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician. I come at it like, okay, like how do I add on to what I'm already doing? Yeah. So I'm a therapist. I sit with people. In a room every week, I get to build deeper relationships with people. I get to follow their cl- their cases super closely, so I can work with people. I could do trauma work, and I also can do coaching work around your diet, mm-hmm. and I can take it really slow. Okay, you know, this week you're going to have two less pops, like you know, sodas. Like, uh, and I can hold people's hands a little bit more. So that's sort of one of the benefits of being a therapist and also it being interested as like a functional nutrition coach and functional medicine.
0: Yeah, and you said something that I think is really important there too. Oftentimes, you know, when people are feeling off in their mental health, and or whether it's anxious, depressed, obsessive, compulsive, you know, we have all of these things that can throw, throw us off. You say, Well, do this elimination diet, take all these supplements, that is overwhelming. And for many people, it's like, I, I can't do that. I can barely get myself out of bed in the morning, you know? So breaking yeah, it and, down.
1: And, and actually, so one interest, the first thing I learned is still the most, the first thing I learned from Julia Ross was that amino acids. Are incredibly powerful tools, and so I, I don't know if you've had experiences with them. You probably have, but um, while some supplements take weeks or months to feel an effect, in an amino acid you feel an effect in ten minutes. Hmm. So, like, they're they're pretty interesting. There's a there's a chart. It's called the Amino Acid Therapy Chart, and this is. Um, a really good pencil and paper questionnaire that would be good to attach to this podcast. Um, you can find it on the web. Um, it's created by Julia Ross, and it says, here are low serotonin symptoms. So low serotonin symptoms are things like um, uh, edgy, like an edgy, like an edgy or an anxious depression, um, anger, irritability, eating too much or too little usually, um, uh, sleep problems. And so she lists the symptoms, and you check them off, and it's pretty easy to see, oh, I have mostly low serotonin symptoms or low dopamine symptoms or low GABA or low endorphin, or I have all of them. And then she has very clear protocols that many people can administer themselves to finding the right supplements at the right dose. Compared to any other things I've ever done for people, I've seen um, amino acid therapy cha- change people's lives and give them um, the boost they need to do some of the other deeper kinds of explorations: doing testing, doing elimination diet. Um, and so, amino acids are a big takeaway from this talk because it's they're they're cheap, they're simple, and If it's overwhelming, you can find a practitioner that can help you set up a schedule, and you know within a couple of weeks whether this is gonna be a tool that's really gonna help. So that's something that's, for me, has been um, like an incredibly helpful tool that sometimes works when people have had adverse reactions to Prozac or other Mm -hmm. serotonin Mm -hmm. reuptake inhibitors. Um, And it's simple and easy. And Julia Ross, in her book *The Mood Cure*, really lays it out. Um, probably you and some of your um, some some of the people listening follow someone named Trudy Scott, and Trudy Scott is a huge advocate for for amino acids. Um, she is a big uh, proponent for natural treatments for anxiety, and I would mm-hmm. encourage everyone to follow her. Um, she's a colleague and a friend, but she lays out in her book *The Anti-Anxiety Food Solution* like in very clear, easy, simple ways, the basic um, kind of like a really simple, clear approach, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. And even people who are quite overwhelmed, she breaks it down into small enough digestible chunks. I love that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, for people who are listening, and and they're like, okay, so what exactly do you mean by amino acids? Are you talking about supplement form, food form, both?
1: I, I would start. So, I find it that that changing your diet is incredibly important, but it's a lot slower and it's a lot harder. Um, I'm talking about very specific. So, I'm talking about very specific supplements. Okay. So, for each. There are very specific supplements for each neurotransmitter that can be used to raise levels. So for, for um, serotonin, it's either tryptophan, L-tryptophan. Um, there's a brand that's probably the best brand that um, Trudy suggests, and I also suggest it's called Lidke, L-I-D-T-K-E, um, and they, are, they uh, are the highest purity for tryptophan. Um, some people also have really good benefit from now foods, and the starting dose of an amino acid um, for, for tryptophan is 500 milligrams. Um, and the other one to raise serotonin is called 5-HTP. Mm-hmm. Metabolite of tryptophan is called 5-hydroxytryptophan. Um, so, another supplement. And it's 10 times as strong as tryptophan. So 50 milligrams of 5-HTP is as powerful as 500 milligrams of L-tryptophan. So some people might hear that and think, oh, I'll definitely use 5-HTP then. And the way they work is some people have a better response to one than the other. Yeah. Um, and so, and you don't know beforehand. So for that's for serotonin. So those are the two mechanisms we kind of use. Then let's go to the uh, another uh, another amino acid, I mean, another uh, neurotransmitter, dopamine norepinephrine. So these are all their drugs that are used to boost these. So Effexor, Wellbutrin, Pristique, or Target, dopamine norepinephrine. And
0: are those the SN- SSNIs? Those or are
1: SNRIs. SNRIs,
0: that's SSRIs, yeah, I got them confused, Yeah, so serotonin
1: norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Okay. People that are low in dopamine, norepinephrine, they have a very they're depressed, but they have a very different kind of presentation than people who are low serotonin. So low serotonin are edgy, anxious, depressed. They might be fidgety, they can't sit still. People who are low dopamine and low norepinephrine are like low energy, low mood, low motivation, mm-hmm. low focus. They're low in joy. They just drag all the time. They can't get up. They eat too much. They'd be the kind of people you think of as thyroid people. Mm, yeah. Um, and I, w- when I give talks, I usually call it an EOR depression. Eeyore mm-hmm. from Winnipapo. They just drag, um, and they're they're sort of lifeless. And in some ways, people who are high serotonin, they are, they're they have, they, they have too little sort of contentment and too much activation at the same time hmm. so they look they you know if you saw them you'd be like oh that person's depressed and really angry that's a low hmm. serotonin person this person can't get out of bed they're like dragging they, they mm-hmm. move really slow that's a low dopamine low norepinephrine person two supplements for that are um, l-tyrosine
0: mm-hmm.
1: and d-l-phenylalanine DL-phenylalanine boosts dopamine and norepinephrine and also inhibits the breakdown of endorphins.
0: Okay. I haven't heard of that one. Okay.
1: So DLPA is great. I love DLPA. DLPA. Okay. So it's someone who's both low energy and they're sensitive to pain. So the pain might be physical pain, but the pain might also be emotional pain. So Julia Ross calls it the breakup pill because it's for people who are, it, it's good for people who are heartbroken. Mm. So one of the keynotes that you ask people to say if they need uh, DLPA is, do you cry at commercials? <laughs> that's a pretty good indicator. Like, you know, are you really sense more sensitive? Are there certain television shows you can't watch because you can't bear it? Um, so that's another mood center, dopamine, norepinephrine endorphin is the third major one and that is DLPA as well as DPA and DPA is phenylalanine but just the D part also a supplement mm-hmm. and the um, that only affects the um, that only affects the endorphin part without the dopamine norepinephrine part and then there's GABA And so GABA, everyone knows, lots of people know GABA. GABA is, it's it's anxiety, often like physical anxiety. It's often tense, unable to relax and loosen up. The supplement for that is GABA. GABA is the neurotransmitter and the supplement.
0: So my question would be, you know, what if somebody, say somebody says, well, yes, I feel like I have that that low serotonin but i also feel like i have that low dopamine at times could they do both could definitely. Or, so yeah okay. yeah definitely
1: and so some people so lots of people have all four they'll fill it out they'll so you, you 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 mark each symptom zero not at all to 10 like extreme some people you look you're like wow you have all of them so in a case like so in the case you present we give calming substances calming calming supplements before we give activating supplements. So if someone's edgy and anxious, if you give them too much of a boost, they're going to be more edgy and anxious. Mm
0: -hmm. But if you calm them
1: down with um, let's say they're low, like you think they're low serotonin, you give them some tryptophan in the evening, and then you give them some other calming things. You give them magnesium, you might prescribe Epsom salt baths, Mm -hmm. some yoga, some like a yoga nidra, you give them some blue blocking glasses, like a whole, like you make a little program for them. And then they're like, oh, cool, but I'm falling asleep all during the day. I'm mm-hmm. still like, like I'm not activated enough. So then you might layer in some more activating things. So let's say um, they're also like sensitive. So you try DPA, you find the right dose, you might give them some adrenal adaptogens, and so usually I won't do any testing to start with people. Usually I'm pretty now, pretty intuitive with these things. So I have a, a one of the doctors you read in my uh, in my bios. His name's name Charlie Gant, and he's an addictions expert, a holistic addictions expert. And when he was learning amino acids, he would go to AA meetings, so he would go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and he would just like listen to people talk and label them. I mean, we don't like labeling people. That person's low serotonin, that person's low dopamine, that person's low dopamine, that person's low endorphins. And like, I can can talk to someone for three minutes at this point, (laughs) and I'll know exactly what, I mean, I'm not always right, but I'm often right, because they're very distinct um, personality types. So things Mm. we think of as personality types, some of it's hardwired. People mm-hmm. come in this way and then add stress on top of it sometimes and add other things on top of it. Yeah. These symptoms get very much exacerbated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. You mentioned the um, addiction because that is a dopamine thing, isn't it? A, a, um, it has to do with with dopamine a lot of times.
1: So some people will say, so there's kind of a, there's a famous researcher named Ken Blum. And he's created this supplement, it's called synaptogenics, I think it's called. And he provides all of the necessary agents to raise dopamine in in a very specific region of the brain, the nucleus accumbens. Um, And so he thinks it all has to do with dopamine Mm. and that people... He's created this term um, reward deficiency syndrome.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so 20% of people are reward deficient and they need to seek external substances to get the dopamine boost that they need. So, but there are other people that would say, yeah, there's some drugs that are dopamine drugs. So people that get hooked on on speedy things, caffeine, people that get hooked on meth, people that get hooked on Ritalin, Adderall, um, those people are dopamine deficient. There are other people that get hooked on downers, so heroin is a, is a downer, alcohol is a downer. Those people can be GABA, GABA can help them. Uh, serotonin support can help them. So um, I sort of am more in, I've used Dr. Blum's product successfully at times, but there are other addictions folks. So Dr. Hyla Cass is a big one, Dr. Charlie Gans, that they're listening in the same way that the amino acid therapy chart, they're listening for what are what are people trying to achieve with their substances? Because I'm of the mind that everyone's trying to fix their broken brains.
0: Yes. And and
1: their addiction that the addictive piece becomes problematic later on. But no one starts using substances to get addicted. People start using substances to feel normal. So right. I, I I worked in the Air Force for a while. And I, one of the things I got to do was run a psychoeducational group for first time alcohol or drug offenders. And um, I got to ask hundreds and hundreds of people, what was it like? How old were you the first time you drank? And what was it like the first time you drank? And everyone almost gives the same answer. They're usually 10, 11, 12 years old. And like they stole from their older brother or their parents. And what they feel is, I felt normal. I felt like I fit in. I felt like I could relax. I felt like I could let go. Um, and to me, that was like really interesting to hear. You know, there no one those people are not doing drugs to feel high. They're doing drugs to feel normal. Mm-hmm. And and that's really interesting in how we think about drug use. And so yeah. I'm I'm all about the self-medication hypothesis. I think. Drugs and alcohol can have very problematic consequences because they are powerful mood altering substances. But I do think that most people start use to feel better or normal.
0: Yeah, I, that that's so good. And I, because I think we stigmatize addiction the way we stigmatize mental illness. Yeah, and and, that, and that's a concern for me because at the end of the day, both have a root (laughs) and both have something at the bottom of the tree that needs to be addressed and and i what you're saying things out of balance starting at like the amino acid level that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah and then that connects of course that connects to digestion so Mm, you know like the the um, the ayurvedic the indian medicine doctors from india and and the chinese medicine doctors they'll say all health begins in the gut and you know they've known this for what, like, five thousand years.
0: Forever, yeah. And we're
1: only starting to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So we're only starting to pay attention to the fact that if your gut doesn't work well, if it's inflamed, if it, it, if it's, if there are too many bad bugs and not enough good bugs, if the the lining of the intestines breaks down and lets toxins into the body or even undigested food particles. Um, we're not gonna be well. No. Nope. And we're gonna get inflamed. And I think there's pretty good consensus now that depression is an inflammatory disorder uh, at its root. And that it's someone's brain being inflamed. Mm-hmm. And mania is an inflammatory disorder of the yes. brain. And, and there are so there's such basic research on these issues and that very few people ever you know, get diagnosed with what's really going on. Depression is meaningless. It's not meaningless experientially, but that label to say someone's depressed is says nothing about what, what's causing it. It's definitely not a Prozac deficiency. That's for sure. I mean, and granted, there's the hard part is we want one pill for one disorder. I mean, that's the best scenario. Mm-hmm. You take Prozac and everyone gets better, fantastic. But really, what in, in practice, what happens is there's a limited number of medications. You go to a doctor for medicine, 20 or 30% of people feel much better on medicine. Yeah. 50% of people feel a little bit better. 30%, I mean, I'm not sure my numbers hold up, but yeah. a, a certain percent feel nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And that's as good as we get. No one looks no one like opens the hood like imagine <laughs> imagine your car mechanic like doing something to your car without opening the hood I in, I have this slide in one of my um, one of my talks that I give is that we've been practicing psychiatry the same way since we practiced psychiatry in the 1880s when Abraham Lincoln was depressed yep and it's it's a shame. It's it's like an utter shame that all of this stuff is out there. There there are doctors like me. There are doctors smarter than me that are, would be glad to create a curriculum in medical school, in psych residencies. As to and most of these people are not anti-psychiatry. They're not looking to abolish medicines. They're saying, hey, if we can treat with something less harmful with no side effects that actually gets to the root of the problem. Let's do that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There's my, so my hero, the person that I follow, um, I'm not anti-psychiatry there's a, there's a psychiatrist named Dr. James Greenblatt. Do you know him?
0: No, I haven't heard of him actually, but I'm writing it down. So
1: so he's, (laughs) he's in Boston and he's been around for a long time and he, um, He's really great. And what he says is he'd much rather treat with natural supplements and diet and getting to the root cause. But when he can't, he'll always use a medicine. Yeah. So he says, you know, um, there are certain things that he can't find anything better than a medicine. And in those cases, he uses medicine. I think that's great. But he's definitely looking for better solutions.
0: Yeah, it and sounds he, reasonable. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's reason, he's reasonable about it. It's like he wants to help people. And so when he finds a better natural solution, he'll use it. But until that time, he'll use whatever medicine. So, But most of the time, he's doing both. And the medicines are like placeholders. And right now, the medicines are the treatment when they're actually not really a treatment. Because if someone is depressed because of inflammation related to GI inflammation, the the drug isn't gonna. I mean, it might help the symptoms some. It's not gonna. It's not gonna fix the the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting as you're you're talking, especially about inflammation and thinking about that the whole brain on fire terminology. You know, right. mm-hmm. um, I remember one of my my very first manic, full blown manic episode. I was also diagnosed with mononucleosis at the same time, and. Right. Looking back, I'm like, and I was, you know, I had mono, but I was staying up for hours and hours and not sleeping. And how does that make sense? But it does because the brain, the gut, the immune system impacts the brain and all of that. And and of course, and of course, nobody looked at that.
1: And of course, if someone, and the whole thing is, it's about curiosity and humbleness. Like if someone said, wow, even if they didn't understand it, that's a really weird co-occurrence, <laughs> you know, mania with, with, the, with the Epstein-Barr virus. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so it would have taken that a doctor a couple of hours. He would have had to say to his colleagues, hey, I'm going to go to the medical library and I'm going to, I, I have a hunch there's a connection between these two things. I'm not smart enough to understand that connection at this point, but I'm curious enough to go and dig in the literature. So if I had to bet, if you went to PubMed and plugged in EBV or mononucleosis Mm -hmm. and and mania, there'd be a shit ton of articles on that subject. And and really EBV is an opportunistic, EBV presents, it becomes, it, it stirs up, it's latent usually, and it comes out of the woodworks when your immune system is compromised. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, an imbalanced immune system causes inflammation. And of course, right, this whole brain on fire business, the brain is the most sensitive organ in the body. If the blood-blain barrier starts to become compromised, you're likely going to have some serious problems with mm-hmm. cognitive functioning, possibly. And if you have the genetics, the underlying genetics, um, the epigenetic switch is gonna get flipped and you're gonna have someone in full-blown mania. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's our job, our job is to be humble. And it's hard to be humble when you feel all the pressure to fix people and help people immediately. To say, I don't know what the connection is, but I'm gonna find out. And in this day and age, you know, where every piece of information is in your fingertips, through the that worldwide internet thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you can find out anything. Like, and you can like start digging and start like contacting people. So, um, yeah, I think that's really, really interesting and a super important point about digging, about making connections, and being curious, mm-hmm. um, and especially in psychiatry because. Our, the, the the allopathic tools that we have aren't that great actually? That there's it's important to remember that we are mind body. There is no the mind is connected to the body. If the body is not well in any way, and barriers are starting to break down, if the gut breaks down, the, the blood brain barrier is going to break down. Anything happening in the body is going to come into the brain. Yes, and that is a setup for pretty serious issues, especially with people that don't know what they're looking at. So they're treating something, they're treating something with mind dulling substances without really understanding what the problem is that they're treating. You know, psychiatry of course is the only field of medicine that doesn't test the organ and treats. So still, after all these years, even you go to see a psychiatrist now, and it's only the rare psychiatrist that even does basic blood work. You know, there are things that are so clearly linked to Medical conditions. Um, thyroid disorder. Thyroid is huge, sure. yeah. No, someone's depressed to not evaluate them for thyroid or anxious or swinging, cyclothymic, to not like look into a thorough thyroid evaluation and look for Hashimoto's, so sort of autoimmunity, that should be malpractice. Mm-hmm. To not look at B12 levels, you know and to not look at b12 levels using really good functional ranges that should be malpractice i heard do you know daniel amen is that a name mm-hmm. you know yeah uh-huh. i heard daniel amen speak like a bunch of years ago and he said you know if in the next five years every psychiatrist is not using spec scans aren't scanning people's brains to look for patterns and abnormalities that should be viewed as malpractice mm. so i mean i'm not sure spec scans are the only way but it really, its a it should be criminal that there are, are well-documented, well-researched treatments that are not used, uh, that are not being used in clinical practice.
0: And, and that, I think, yeah. yeah, I was just saying, I think also going along with that, there are a lot of people that are given, medications and diagnosis uh, diagnoses <laughs> after a five minute talk with their general practitioner. Yeah, that, that's and right. that's problematic.
1: That's hugely, hugely problematic.
0: Because think
1: about this, and you might have a personally like, based on your what you just shared. If you are if you go into a doctor's office depressed and they only have five minutes to talk to you, they make they, they make a slew of assumptions. They're not and you if you're not reporting actually 2 weeks ago i thought i was jesus christ <laughs> right. and i was running around the i was i was totally manic and now i'm presenting as totally depressed if you don't know the history if you don't have time to get into it either because you don't have the skill or because your next patient is waiting you're going to you're going to make a prescription based on that limited amount of information that could be harmful
0: so Real to harmful. give yeah. so
1: to give an antidepressant to someone that's bipolar you may induce another mania. Mm-hmm. So that is hugely problematic. So I'm actually talking about the best case scenario where someone gets to see a properly trained psychiatrist. And I'm not down in psychiatry. I think I know, I mean, I love psychiatrists, some psychiatrists. I mean, I think, you know, almost all psychiatrists are there to help others, right. you know, their servants, they want, to, they want to be helpful. And any, um, anything that they don't do is only out of ignorance. But um, but you're right. Most medicine, most, psych- most psychiatric medicine is actually prescribed by primary care doctors that neither have the skill nor the time to properly evaluate people. And that's a big problem, really, you're, you know, like a huge problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, because you think about how many people we have taking medication right now, and how much the rate of mental illness continues to climb. And I mean, that who's sounding the alarm on that? We should all be sounding the alarm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Do you know Robert? Do you know the book Anatomy of an Epidemic? No, uh -uh. huh? Another one. Write down. (laughs) So there's a guy named Robert Whitaker. Okay. He's actually not a clinician. He's a health writer that's Hmm. very, very interested in mental health, and he wrote this book it's probably about 10 years back now, I've called it the anatomy of an epidemic, that looks, at, um, that looks at when antipsychotic medications and when antidepressant medications came out. Over 20 years, what happened to mental illness? How many people got became, how many people were chronically mentally ill at the beginning? How many people are chronically mentally ill at the end? Um, And what he found is like incredibly disturbing, Mm. he says. So his analysis, there's way more people chronically mentally ill, like after the 20 years of the existence of the drugs that were supposed to change everything. And what he, his hypothesis, which I think is pretty well grounded, is that the medicines create chronic mental health conditions in situations where people would have had episodic conditions. So in Europe, in lots of Europe, they use a lot of the same medicines, especially for psychosis or, or, or bipolar disorder, but they use them for much shorter periods of time and then have much more intensive community support. They have much better programs that help people stay in communities and stay healthy and look for the earliest, earliest signs possible of their next episode. Hmm. So they don't tr- they treat it like that this is an episodic illness, but if they don't keep them on the medicines, their health status, their mental health is way better down the line. And so there are lots of people who are sounding these alarms, colleagues of mine as well, but the truth is we this is David and Goliath. The main mainstream medicine and big pharma is so big. You know, yeah. you're sounding the alarms. You know, the, it's the podcasters. It's the summits. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the anxiety summit. Yep. And it's, the, it's the, the chronic Lyme summit and the, and the mold, you know, the, the toxic mold summit. But I think part of the problem is sort of like politics. If, you, if, if, you're, intri- if you're conservative, you watch Fox News. If you're liberal, you watch MSNBC you know, all of the people or 90, many of the people that listen to podcasts and listen to like yours and go to the summits are already convinced of this. What the summits do and what your podcasts do, it lets people who are seeking help, who don't have providers who are telling them that there are options, it's letting them know that there are other options. Mm. And that like, you know, like that's like, a, like what you're doing is like a beautiful service. Yeah. And the truth is, you can get the word out to tons of people. And mm-hmm. the cool thing about uh, about the use of the internet is that we can have this bottom-up revolution. That's fueled by people that that are desperate for help, that yeah. want help, that have been in the other systems because there there aren't that many doctors like me. There's some, and it's growing. I mean there's this amazing conference every year called integrative medicine for mental health, where it's a functional medicine conference for mental health. And they do some other behavioral stuff, but it's mostly functional medicine. And I've been going every year. I think they've been doing for about 10 years. And I think I started going the second or third year and there were like 60 or 70 people. And last year, which is, you know, this year they just had it, but it was online. Last year was in person and there were 800 people there. And everyone there is amazing. It's a little like going to an elite college, like going to Harvard, where everyone comes from their little town and they're like the coolest person from where, <laughs> they're like the smartest person from wherever they're from. Like I remember the first time I went, I, I was in Santa Fe and I flew into Albuquerque late and I got on this bus going to Santa Fe for the conference. And the person sitting next to me was also going to the conference and she was a psychiatrist from uh, Salt Lake City, and she was not a presenter, and she had written a book on depression with Marie Osmond. And I was like, oh my God, this is what, so everyone in the audience is amazing. (laughs) And it's like a homecoming, because all of them are working in isolation, and they get to know, they get to meet all the people they know through social media. And so it's a beautiful place to be, because it's a little like, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, Mm -hmm. where we both went, where like-minded people come together to inspire each other and share information Mm -hmm. and feel like you're going to, we're going to change the world. And it, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic about the field as a whole changing, but I am optimistic, incredibly optimistic that there are alternative treatments um, that people can get better, that with the advent of telemedicine, um, with the advent of um, the internet, that this information can transform people's lives. Mm. Um, and that's sort of my interest and my path is to educate people yeah. and help people. And I'm, not the, and I'm not the world's biggest expert, but the thing I've learned is it's very, very, very difficult to get appointments with the world experts. And they're often incredibly expensive, and um, and not everyone needs to see, you know, Mark Hyman. You know, not everyone needs right. to see the person that's $5,000, Dr. Brogan, Kelly Brogan's $5,000 yeah. a session, and that they're, so, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that and, and, and bringing hope to this conversation because, there, there are things we are up against and, and it's hard and, and there's a lot of noise out there. And so I, I appreciate wow. you um, bringing this knowledge and information because it's a lot. And man, there are so many other things I could ask you about. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll have to do a part two, because one thing we didn't go into, and I, I'll just kind of have this, leave this as a to be continued, but, you know, obviously our, our gut and everything that's going on internally is affecting our brain. Mm-hmm. But one thing I'd love to lead into at some point is how our brain and, and mindfulness, right? And, yes. and I know you're big into yoga, can mm-hmm. impact our gut as well. And so maybe that's something, if you're willing to talk about that at another time. I would time. totally.
1: I would totally. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a really important piece is that this is a two-way process.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: we, that, that a lot of information, you know, the, the, now all the talk is about the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. You know, the wandering nerve. So everyone's all into the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is super important, right? Because it connects all the systems together. So this multi-systems theory that functional medicine is, it's like, what's the common denominator? Oh, it's the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve directly connects the gut to the brain. So you you can have brain problems that lead to gut problems. You can have trauma loops. You can have... Activation. People can get caught in activation, limbic activation, activation of the fight, flight, freeze model, yeah. um, and that leads to. You're right. That leads to all kinds of um, of physical problems. Yeah. And actually, can I say one last thing? Of course, that, yeah. So yeah. there's a there's a kind of well known functional medicine guy named uh, Dr. Dan Kalish, and he has a training program. And I like him, and, and I heard him being interviewed once about autoimmunity, and this struck me as being brilliant and interesting. And he said, to, to what we're talking about, that he's probably seen 10,000 cases of all different kinds of autoimmunity, and he's never once seen a case of autoimmunity where there wasn't... Um, An emotional, an emotionally traumatic event in the six months before diagnosis. So,
0: yes, I I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's
1: that's freaking fantastic. I Mm -hmm. mean, and it's like another piece of the puzzle. Like, yes, we shouldn't get seduced into thinking, um, we shouldn't get seduced into thinking like, oh, now we know about functional medicine. We should we should throw away all the stuff we know about trauma, all the stuff we know about psychotherapy. If we fix people's guts and we get rid of metals, and that their minds are going to be, their minds are going to be fine. And that's not true. We need to do both. It's not either or. They're just different different pieces of the puzzle.
0: Absolutely. And
1: this and this mindfulness and um, the ability to shift. From, from the trauma part of the brain into the thinking rational frontal lobe part of the brain is the other missing piece. And actually the functional medicine people will say that you're, you're, you will never ever be able to heal as long as you stay stuck in fight flight. Because at a cellular level, your, your cells are defending against moving and healing. So there's there's a thing called the cell danger response. So even at the most cellular level, if you're stuck in fight, flight, or freeze, you're gonna stay sick. Mm. And and I'll I'll leave a teaser. I have a perfect story. I have a client who um, who um, went to see some of the best functional medicine people. Had mold illness. Had Lyme. had panic attacks. And the thing that ended up helping him that allowed all he was doing all he was doing infrared saunas. He was doing interval training. He was doing um, glutathione. He was doing all this like amazing binders, all this like amazing, these amazing protocols, but he was still stuck. And only when he really dealt with his trauma and shifted his brain into safe
0: Mm. rest, digest yes.
1: only when he learned to do that could he heal and in yeah. he had been sick for years and after doing this very this intensive treatment program everything got better like it was the most amazing thing and so it's in my experience in my life journey i see so i see things and i'm like oh that's an incredibly important part of the puzzle Like that's incredibly important. It's not maybe more important than the other parts, but it's this mosaic that we're, it's this integration of different pieces that we're creating. We
0: have to look at all those pieces. We have to, we can't ignore them. Yeah, and we
1: have to, and it means no one person can do all of them. It means that we have to collaborate and we have to be non-territorial, collaborative, open-minded and humble. And, and we need to celebrate small changes that, that people make. And diagnostically be able to say where people, have, people who are sick, people have mental health issues, often they, they feel hopeless because they've often tried lots of things. So we need to say, to be smart with people and say, I think you're going to get the most bang from your buck for this thing. Let's do this first. What does that sound like? and get by it like what is like what do you think or here's an you know like you do with like here's here are the three things i'm thinking so i'm pretty transparent (laughs) i'm transparent when i think i know things i'm transparent when i think i don't know things and i'm transparent when i think like ultimately ultimately you live in your body and i trust your intuition and i trust your highest self like i i believe that everyone is the we're we're all, we all have incredible intuition we can in yep. with. And if you can help people connect to that, then you're going to know what, they're going to know what to do. And in the meantime, yeah. we're going to help them know what
0: to do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, that's so, so many good things there. Where can people contact you, find out more about you? So um, they, yeah. yeah.
1: That, the best place I have is my website. It's mood, M-O-O-D, healing, dot com. And that's, so I have a, I have a brick and mortar psychotherapy practice here in Omaha, but I do, I have a separate sort of functional nutrition coaching business at healing.com. And that's, that's the, uh, that's the uh, the, uh, alternative mental health solution.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So guys, check them out and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, I mean, everything you said was just amazing and um, you have so much knowledge. So I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you for having me. I really, It was really great to talk to you, to meet you, and to talk to all the people that will listen to this conversation. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.